Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com. And today I want to do a teaching called The Root of All Evil. The Root of of all evil. Now, why I want to go here, and like I said, why I think it's important is because we all know what evil is. We know that evil masks itself in many different ways. So what what, what about the root of all evil, man? You know, wouldn't you want to know what that is? It's just a terror, it's just a cameo, but wouldn't you want to know the depths of what evil truly is? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight, because you see, there's a lot of things that we know that money itself, you know, plays a major role in. We also know that it's not the love of money that the Bible talks about that is evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil, which we're going to cover. And the Lord gave me some interesting understanding on that term. But, you know, even guys, when you consider Christmas, even though when you look at things like Black Friday, when you look at all these days that have nothing to do with God and these things take place, all of it has to do with the love of money. All of it has to do with the worship of money. Money itself even controls the lives of those who don't even possess it. That's how big money is. I was looking up a few years ago um, about America, how it says that America itself is a corporation. America is not a country, and it hasn't been for a long time. America, um, you know, even looks at us because of the love of it, you know, because of the love of money. America even trades your Social Security number on the New York Stock Exchange. And that's why I try and tell people repeatedly, if you think you're free, you better understand one thing, unless you are free in Christ, you are a slave to this world. The devil has many of us chasing the elusive carrot, going after things that have nothing to do with God. How we think that we're making it, that we're doing it, that we're making moves, we're moving and shaking, but we don't even realize that we're kind of like the mouse in that little maze that you're always controlled and you always know, you always are allowed to go where they tell you to go. You can only go as far as they tell you to, to go. The only way that you are truly set free in this world is through Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at tonight, a hey, brother Charles, uh, sister Sarah, and sister Teresa. We're going to be looking tonight on the root of all evil. We're going to look at it in many different places because this thing controls so much. And even the dollar sign, believe it or not, guys, even the dollar sign itself is a very significant sign, okay? It's mostly used in this country. I don't know if it's being used anywhere else, 
but it's got some deep root and meaning that we're going to be talking about tonight. So, you know, I don't want to talk too much because we got a whole lot to cover, but tonight's teaching is going to be on the root of all evil. What could actually make somebody, you know, a bunch of people on Black Friday run over a security guard at Walmart when he opens the doors? What can make people beat the heck out of each other? Okay, in the aisles, over TVs and over all these different things has to do with the root of all evil. Why we, we won't even obey Jesus when he tells us to do certain things, but we'll run and be a good little servant to the boss or to whomever pays you. Okay, you don't question their motives. All you know is you got a job to do and you go out and do it. All these things have to do with the root of all evil. You know, Jesus said it best, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we're gonna be looking at this. We're gonna be paying attention to a lot of this. I even got some, you know, articles and some lyrics to songs, you know, that what the devil's been singing to us all this time, the things that he's been doing. And we don't even know of it, but because the reason we don't know is because we're following after the elusive carry, which is the root of all evil. So I want to pray real quick, and we're going to get right into this lesson. I don't want to waste another minute because I think this is a very, very important teaching tonight. I probably even should have had my projector up tonight, so that way we could have actually looked at some videos. But who knows? I may do a part two to this, or if there's time, I'll make it happen. But Anyway, let's get into the lesson and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just thank you for another day not promised to us. And we just ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters, both near and far, that we have yet another day to be partakers of your word, to be edified by your spirit, Lord, that we may choose life and not death. And we just pray, Lord, that no man's heart be heard in his teaching. We pray, Lord God, that no flesh be glorified, but we pray for the comforter. We pray for the Holy Ghost. We pray he who was sent by you to bring us into all truth and righteousness. We pray, Lord God, tonight that you speak, that your words will be heard, that people will choose you, Lord, in such a crucial hour while you are looking for saints and vessels to do your will, that you will unplug some of us, Lord, to do a judgment. So we just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, bind the devil, keep him at bay, cast him out like the dog that he is, that your people may have the victory in you this day. For you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Hey, Coach P. Hey, Sister Latoya. If you guys get the chance, share this teaching 
because I think it's a very important teaching and one that's gonna bring a lot of insight to the way we look at what we do. Okay, guys, am I choppy tonight or am I splitting up? Because Sister Sarah says she's not sure if it's her connection or if it's you. So somebody give me a thumbs up if it's okay and it's just her connection. But if not, if I'm choppy, we may have to make some adjustments because I wouldn't doubt that the devil's not gonna fool around with this teaching to try and do things to keep you from hearing the truth because this is how important it really is. So let's go to 1 Timothy 6, guys. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Okay, I'm a little choppy. Oh, man. This is crazy. This is the devil at his best to try and interrupt the teaching. Uh, hey, Brother Sal. So let's go to... Uh, Let's go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Guys, just keep me informed uh, with how it is right now because I knew that they would try and mess with this. The devil knows the teachings that expose him, you know, and those are the ones that he fights the most, okay? Uh, Sister Latoya says she's good, okay. So this is 1 Timothy 6, guys. Look at verse 1. He says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Now they are actually messing with my connection right now. So yeah, I'm sure that they are doing something to it. But guys, check this out. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter six. He says, as many as are under the yoke, what yoke could this be? count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So you see, even Paul knows, okay, because a lot of people try and equate this to slavery. Yeah, it could be to some degree, but not really. When it talks about being under the yoke, I did a teaching about that maybe almost a year ago, but when you're under a yoke, you've got to imagine that there is something that's preventing you from roaming free, and doing what you need to do. Paul knows that there are many Christians, why he wrote this, I believe, has a lot to do with us that are still in the world, that we're still working for a living. You know, we're not of this world, but we're in this world. We're doing the things that we need to do until the place that God may eventually set some of us free. But he tells them how to conduct themselves in the workplace or while they're still inside of this world, not set free fully by the spirit. And he says that the name of God or the, the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. He says, and they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So what is he saying here? how employee and employer are supposed to treat one another, okay? That's what this is about. Why, if you're a believer and you're a boss, then you should take care of your people. If you're um, a, a servant that you may even have an unbelieving master, know how to conduct yourself in the workplace. That way people won't look at you and say, man, if that's a Christian, who's always showing up late, always doing wrong, always stealing and making excuses. You know, people can blaspheme God. And that's something that we've got to recognize that we are supposed to be like Christ. 
So when people, when we call ourselves Christians, people are looking at us and really trying to figure out what Christians are all about. So we can't be caught up doing wrong because then that gives God a bad name of these are your people, Lord, then why don't you tell them to be on time? You know, so it's those sort of things that, you know, God wants us to have a good report, whether we're in the world working in it or we're outside of the world being led by the spirit in everything. Look at verse three. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. So we're supposed to be humble when it comes to doing the things that we have to do in this world if we're employed by people, but we're also supposed to follow the Lord and do whatever he says, which is above all. But he's making the point here that these people who uh, believe that it's okay to just be how you are and blaspheme God, he says that they are men of corrupt minds. And he says they're destitute of truth. And why are they destitute? They suppose that gain is godliness from such withdraw yourself. Now you know that the whole prosperity doctrine in this world is based on this lie. They believe with more stuff that you have just shows that God loves you. Joel Osteen, I've heard him say to many of his people, and so is Creflo Dollar, see you in a place where things are rough and you're not really living very prosperous. See, that's not the Lord. The Lord wants you to be prosperous. We're gonna cover that too, because there's a fine line. There's nothing wrong with having, because I believe God does bless those who he intends to do his will. You know, God don't want you scraping for change every chance you get, but you also have to recognize that these things, that gain itself is not godliness. Look at verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What does that mean? Because if you're godly, then you're like Christ. But to be content with godliness is great gain. Why is that? Because you have God's favor. God hears the prayers of the righteous. The Bible tells us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and then these all these things will be added unto us. God will see to it that you not lack when it comes time to need. God will give it to you but you cannot assume that gain is godliness, okay? We're gonna find out whose doctrine that really truly is. But then he says to be godly and be content with what God blesses you with is great gain. He says, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Now, guys, I want us to look at this because what Paul is telling Timothy, who he uh, wants or he expects to follow in his footsteps, he tells them that godliness with contentment is great gain. 
But then he says, we brought nothing into this world and we can carry nothing out. So you know what that means? You and I can't afford to be attached to anything here. We have to treat these things like the temporal things that they are. Don't you know that there would be a lot less idolatry, okay, in people if they truly looked at things from this perspective? Hey, I got it today, could be gone tomorrow. Even with this YouTube channel, with all these laws and things that they're coming up with, I'm expecting one day to click on and want to do a teaching and, you know, just may be gone. What we've done for the last five years just may be gone. What am I supposed to do? Have a nervous breakdown and quit and give up because some of these teachings are gone? Hey, I didn't come into the world with them, and I, I certainly can't take them with me. You've got to part with them sometime. The only reason I'm praying to the Lord to keep this thing going is that more souls may get saved and people may hear the truth. Okay, but when that, you know, blanks out, I'll be still right there on the street telling people about the Lord. I'll be in the workplace telling people about the Lord. Wherever I have to go, I'm going to be telling people about the Lord. But you see, we can have an attachment to some things that, you know, can keep us from truly serving the Lord and doing the things that he tells us to. Okay, so he says, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Does that sound like contentment to you? But you see, to the carnal mind, man, that sounds so depressing. You mean to say if all I had was food and clothing, God would be okay with that? Absolutely. You see, we misunderstand the people that preceded us and all the things that they did. How Jesus, man, would walk through mountains and taking his people on camels or, or donkeys or whatever they had, they walked. They did things. Jesus said the son of man have not a place to lay his head. And if the Bible tells you and I that the servant is not greater than his master, then how can we look at this any less? I'm not talking about just running out and doing it. I'm talking about growing to maturing to understand that, you know what? God's will is more important than anything. I do believe in many ways in the 21st century as Christians, a lot of us are babied. A lot of us expect if I go out, Lord, and do your work, that I'm gonna have a home to return to. A lot of people won't even go out and serve the Lord because they've got a home to return to. A lot of people like the confines of their own comfort and lifestyle that keeps them saying, Lord, if I go out and believe you with all and serve you, what will I have to come home to? This is something to think about because this is gonna have everything to do with what we're talking about tonight. Nothing wrong with having a place to live. Thank God for a roof over my head. I don't live in a palace, but thank God for all that he has given me. But even these things, if we mature to the place of being called forward to do the will of the Lord, we gotta be able to part with these things and be able to go and serve because these things are not gonna be with us forever. Look at verse nine. He says, and they, but they that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. This kind of reminds me of the parable of the sower. 
You know how the Bible says, and when it gets to the thorns, that although some people may know the truth, that the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches drown the, drown the word or drown the seed or choke the seed, sorry. And then it says that they become unfruitful. You see, a lot of us know who Jesus Christ is. A lot of us know what we must do, but how many of us are actually seeking that and doing that? This has everything to do with those who will be rich. Now, I know some people can say, I'm not rich. I'm not, you know, Donald Trump. I'm not Michael Jordan. I'm not Oprah Winfrey. I'm not any of these people. But we must understand for those who will be rich, many of us work for that purpose. Many of us strive to do what we need to do in the world for that purpose. So when he talks about be rich, he's not talking about just being a rich and wealthy man. You see, it says here, the word is plutio, and this is G4147. It says to be rich, to have abundance of outward possessions. Metaphorically, to be richly supplied is affluent in resources so that he can give blessings of salvation to all. So, you know, do you know that there's a place of being rich towards men and the things of this world and rich towards God? Now, I don't have much, but depending on where I go, if I were to take a trip to Kenya, okay, or some of these other poverty stricken places, these people would look at me as I was rich. But here I am, you know, paying my bills and working and doing all the things that I'm doing here. But as you can see, you ever wonder why in China they're having such a revival, even though there's persecution? You wonder why in these foreign countries, man, you got these young kids getting full of the Holy Ghost. They got a brother in India. I think uh, Sister Sarah said was like 24 years old. And this guy's out there pre preaching the gospel. Why? because they live in squalor. They live in a place where they know that this is not the kingdom of God. They are not having their heaven on earth, so they have no hope in this life, nor care. They just go forward with the one hope that they have in Jesus Christ to do his will. He says that they, which will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. We've all been here which drown men in destruction and perdition. He says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which some, which while some coveted or were greedy after. See, they don't have to be rich. All you have to do is have the love of money, which is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred or erred from the faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. As I said at the beginning of this teaching, money itself even controls the lives of those who don't even possess it. They're all chasing the elusive carrot, going after money. Look at the word, guys, love of money. This is G5365. That word is love of money or avarice. Okay, now if you guys look up avarice, it's made of two words. Okay, which we're gonna get into right now. I want you guys to look at the meaning of this. This word only occurs one time in the Bible. Okay, the definition for uh, avarice or avaricious or avaricious 
And it means, um, this is in the Cambridge uh, Dictionary. Let me pull it up. Okay, it means showing an extremely strong wish to get or keep money or possessions. Okay, now if you guys think about that, an extremely strong wish, okay, to get or to keep money or possessions. Look at another definition. This is a uh, Merriam Webster, Webster's Dictionary. And it says, uh, avaricious or avaricious means greedy of gain, excessively exquisitive, uh, especially in seeking to hoard riches. So as you can see, a lot of us hang on to things that really don't do us good. They could go to more important things, but there's so much that we hold on to because we're so worried about self and what we can have in this life. Now let's go back real quick to um, first uh, Timothy chapter six. And I believe I stopped at the love of money. And it says it is the root of all evil which while some were greedy after, it says they have erred, erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You guys would not see prosperity gospel growing as it is today. I'm telling you, some of those guys, I do believe when they walked into it, they had very good intentions about doing the right things for Christ. But what ended up happening to them? You know, they began to, they got an offer and they said, okay, I'll make some money. I'll calm the gospel down a little bit, but I'll still go and win souls. And I've told people before, if you compromise one thing concerning this gospel and your values, you are going to compromise them all. You will make reasons as to why you can't do the Lord's will and all you'll become is greedy for gain. A lot of people error in this way because many people will never say it, but they think that money is more important than God. But look at verse 11. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. This is so important that we get an understanding of this, that he says to fight the good fight, that we need to lay hold on eternal life. But what's keeping you and I today from laying hold on eternal life? It's because we've got something else in our hands, which are the treasures of this world. Jesus says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can only hang on to so much when your heart is in a particular place. So that's why we give God as little time as possible, but we've got our hands over here, chasing the elusive carry and going after things that we think are more important than God. But the Bible tells us, flee these things. If you're a man of God, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. Now I wanna skip down a little bit because you know I want people to understand the problem is not being rich. The problem is not being wealthy or well-to-do. Look at verse 17. Let's look at verse 17. 
It says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So their riches themselves, they're not supposed to trust in, they should put their trust in the living God. And then he says, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So God gives us, God can make our lives abundant. Solomon was rich, Abraham was rich, David was rich. There were Joseph of, of uh, Arimathea, I believe, was rich. So you see, God will always use people who have money to, to do his will. Look at verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So even if you're rich, you should be willing to distribute what God wants you to give at whatever time for the cause of God. So as you can see, the love of money itself is the root of all evil. It's not money. It's what you hold as an idol. And this money has, I mean, many tentacles in it. It has many places that it points to and draws people in. Hopefully we'll be able to cover some of those tonight because you guys have seen on the thumbnail what that dollar symbol looks like. Well, I'm gonna read um, something to you briefly that's going to explain to you what that dollar symbol really means. If you don't know where to look, you will not find it. I only knew of it because I heard of what John Todd said concerning what the dollar bill is all about because he was in the occult for years. So a lot of people will tell you it means US and United States and all this other stuff, but no, it has a far deeper meaning than that. So I'm gonna um, uh, let you guys listen to this um, article that I'm gonna read. Okay, but this is called, uh, let's see, John Todd, uh, Introduction to Atlas Shrugged. Now, Atlas Shrugged was a book made by the Illuminati. I'm just gonna read it because we don't have a lot of time to wait. Hey, Sister Tanisha, it says, Atlas Shrugged, it is an Illuminati book. The book was ordered, written, and produced by Philip Rothschild. You guys know the Rothschild family is the number one family in this world as far as riches, okay, and the elite. The leader of the Illuminati in his day and age, it was ordered, written by a woman named uh, Anne uh, Rand, or Ayn Rand, and it says um, she was at the time of the Philip Rothschild's, she was Philip Rothschild's mistress. Uh, she was already a well-known author and her books sell nationwide. Uh, she wrote this book, and it was supposed to be a novel. It's 1,100 pages. It was written as a novel, supposedly, but it is a code book. And what's in the book is a step-by-step -step plan to take over the whole world by taking over the United States. Now, the power of the Illuminati, and I'll give an explanation, the Illuminati did this following. First, most people have found the Illuminati in things that have crossed their path. People have found it in the occult and mistakenly uh, they have said, aha, the Illuminati is the occult. 
Then they have found it in the Masons. And then they said, aha, the Illuminati is the Masons. Then they have found it in politics. And they said, oh, it's politics. So they found it in the international banking system and they found it in Zionism. Uh, so they list so they list it as just being that. Actually, it is all of these things and much more. They found it in the Mormon religion. That's because the leaders of the Mormon religion are a high are the high echelons of the Illuminati. They have found it in the John Birch Society. Uh, that's because the man who leads the John Birch Society is both a high degree Mason and a Mormon. It is all these things and its power is finance. If you would take its finance away, which is impossible, I am getting ahead of myself. This is John Todd speaking. The book is called Atlas Shrugged. They did not want people to buy this book other than those told to buy it within the occult and within the Illuminati. They're extremely mad because this, because just this year alone, in 1977, they have sold a million of them, mostly to Christians, and they don't like that. In fact, they tried to stop printing it, but people don't want to stop printing it. Uh, they're raking so much money. The bad thing about it, though, is since it is written as a novel, it has some passages I think might belong to Hustler or other places, you know, Hustler magazine or whatever. Maybe out of 1,100 pages, you um, might count five that are this way. You can tear them out and throw them away. They're stuck in there on purpose to keep Christians from reading the book. So you see, they have a lot of encoded and encrypted messages where they will, um, in a book, they'll have a few pages that Christians will say, oh man, this is filthy. I don't want to read this. But really the very next page is some key information about how these people are running the world. So anyway, let me make the point. All right, let me see. Uh, he says, so if you get a passage that is a little something you shouldn't read, just turn to the next page. It'll be over by then. And you can go on with the story. Now, if you don't like to read, skip the first 200 pages. The first 200 pages are exactly the way most people in the world are. They're very boring. No, actually, they're the conspiracy from people in all the walks of life talking about this incident uh, happening and that, and that incident happening, and you know it's very boring. Uh, let me just skip past this. It says it's like reading a newspaper today and you don't really know what's happening behind it. But after the first 200 pages, chapters eight and nine, something like that, it starts showing you that everything is happening, that everything that is happening is conspired to happen. The common name of the Illuminati or is the conspiracy or the great conspiracy. Now, until we lost the school system to people within the Communist Party and within the Illuminati and so on, you were taught in your history classes, and some people can remember this, that history was taught that it happened because somebody conspired for it to happen. Then we didn't want in this nation anybody to get ideas that maybe our government was a conspiracy. So they decided to start teaching that it happened because it happened. 
World War II happened because some people got mad. World War I happened because uh, some people got mad. The depression happened because we bought too much too soon without enough money. They did not want anybody to get the idea that it all happened because somebody conspired for it to happen. I hope to accomplish one thing tonight more than anything, that I will change your attitude, that I will put new forms or patterns or whatever is in your life that you will uh, walk out of here. And when something happens, you'll go, now I wonder what they're really up to, really. So you see, this is something that we gotta look at too. Wars themselves, guys, only occur because of money. Angel Rothschild, who was the same member, or who was a member of the same family as Philip Rothschild, who this book is about, made it clear that we make more money in one day of peace then, I mean, one a day of war, sorry, than we do in a year of peace. War has always been the biggest business. It's always about coming in, taking over, establishing new agendas and new plans that people may rake in more money. So that's what this whole book is about. He says, when you study Atlas Shrugged, you will find out that you are reading the front pages of the paper today. The oil shortage that doesn't exist they state that they destroyed their own wells, their own oil wells, that they hide their own oil so that nobody can have it. They state how they destroy the coal mines and shut the coal mines down. They shut the electricity down. They state how they crippled the country and no food is grown. It states how they pit and derail trains so that no trains go. It states how they sink a sink and pirate thousands of ships every year. We just recently heard down in Florida how they're asking people not to sail out in pleasure craft in the Bermuda Triangle area, not because they believe in the Bermuda Triangle, but because over a thousand ships were pirated last year and everybody on board was killed and dumped in the ocean. Now they don't like uh, to put that on the front page as you see, that might cause some people to wonder about some things. And this is all in this book that uh, was written 12 years ago. And in the book, so now it's written like 40, 50 years ago, but it says, like 40 years ago, but it says uh, they gain control of the world by bankrupting their own businesses. The Illuminati owns most, or I would say 99% or nine-tenths of the stores that you walk into walk into and shop. And the gas stations you go to, they are going to destroy them on purpose. They are in the process of buying up the last few years, all the stores they don't own. They bought up grants and they bankrupted it. They, they just bought up two guys and you can watch for them uh, to go out of business and they keep it in business. The ones that they've always owned and they're going to bankrupt them before too long and cripple them and bankrupt them before too long and cripple them and destroy them. The idea of taking over is to, um, taking over is to bankrupt the whole world where nothing is of any value and the currency does not exist anywhere and then come back and solve all the problems. So you see what the devil's plan is? 
The devil's the devil is sinking this economy on purpose. The global bankers own everything. They're taking everything. Okay, they're sinking this economy. There is no president that's going to fix this economy. There is nothing that you and I can do that can fix this economy except fall in love with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. But I think America is going way past that and America is going to be judged. But as you can see, they are sinking the economy on purpose so that they can have a cashless society. They can come up with a new world order that they can do everything that they want to do. Now, you know, we're getting closer to the mark of the beast where you won't be able to buy or sell except you receive a mark. So guys, we're on the brink of this. But anyway, he says, uh, let's see. It says the book Atlas Shrugged ends with the hero, John Galt, which is really Philip Rothschild, lifting his hand up in the air and drawing the symbol of his organization, never says Illuminati in the book, and the air, um, and he says, we shall follow this symbol back. So notice Philip Rothschild is a type of antichrist. This is what the antichrist is going to do. He's gonna sink the economy. He's gonna cause a third world war. Everything is gonna be chaotic. There's gonna be rioting in the streets. There'll be people knocking on people's doors, kicking them in, you know, renegade groups, stealing, pillaging, raping, plundering, doing all this stuff in the cities. This is the devil's plan. Order out of chaos. They've got to have chaos. And then the antichrist is gonna come on the scenes and say, hey guys, I've got the answer to your problem. Why? So that he can come out and become the hero and be worshiped. But anyway, he says that they're going to follow a symbol. This is important, guys. He says, drawing the symbol of his organization. Never says Illuminati in the book and the air. And he says, uh, we shall follow this symbol back. The symbol that he draws is the dollar sign. Now, the dollar sign is only used in America, by the way. Nowhere else to represent money. It's almost 8,000 years old. Now, I don't think it's that old. When you look at the biblical timeline, this may be where he was deceived, but let's just say it goes all the way back to Babylon. So the symbol, he says, is 8,000 years old or probably older, goes back in time to the pyramids, and it means to scourge, look at what it means, guys, the dollar sign, to scourge or to punish and through punishment to purify and make right. So the dollar symbol means to scourge, like to whip and punish, and through punishment, they will purify and make right. Why is this important? This is important to you and I because the devil is scourging us chasing after money and after the elusive carrot. He's punishing us by raising and sinking the economy, raising and sinking gas, inflation on food, and then things going down. He's doing these things on purpose to gain control over you, that he may punish you and purify you to desire it and to make right. That's what it means. Funny that that's what's the symbol. I mean, that's what we symbolize our money with. 
So that's important. I'll read the rest of this later, but you know, we need to really look at what the devil is doing to us because we really think that we've got a nice little slice of pie. We better start recognizing and seeing that the love of money is the root of all evil. Why are these people enslaving people? Why is your uh, social security number on the New York Stock Exchange? You wanna know what the real reason, guys, is? You ready for this? Because you are a commodity. You're no better than orange juice. You're no better than a battery. You're no better than anything that it takes money to run. You are a slave. This is a matrix. This world belongs to the devil. For those who don't believe that, I would encourage them to look at 2 Corinthians chapter of 4, verses 3 and 4. It says that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's a lowercase g, have blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel, which is the image of God, should shine unto them. This is the devil's kingdom. He offered it to Jesus, okay? He showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And Jesus says, I will serve the Lord my God, and him only shalt thou serve. You ask yourself why Jesus plucked up those fishermen, why he went and grabbed the tax collector, why they followed him and did everything that they did. Because guys, I hate to say this, I'm not saying this for anybody to quit their job. The point I'm making is we are serving the devil in one way or another as being one of his batteries that keeps his system running. We must understand this. This is what it's about. That's why the Bible will talk to us about those things that are righteous and those things that are not righteous. Look at Luke 16, guys, and look at verse one. Luke 16, and let's begin at verse one. Thank you, Jesus. You think you're somebody in this world? You are nobody. Your identity should be in Jesus Christ. That's what the whole thing is about. Luke 16, look at verse one, and he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be a no, no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg, I am ashamed, and am resolved what to do, uh, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, an hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then, he, uh, then said he uh, to another, and how much owest thou? And he said, an hundred measures of wheat. 
And he said unto him, take thy bill and write four score. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. What does he mean by that? So for those who are in this world, they seem to be a little smarter with money, knowing what to do with money. Why? Because they have that worldly mind and they deal with the unrighteous mammon. But look at this. Look at verse nine. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. So the Lord is saying, hey, you may take some unrighteous people to get things done. When was this example done? Do you guys remember? This happened in Egypt with Joseph. Joseph himself was a man of God. God was with Joseph, Joseph, but God put Joseph in a place where the Pharaoh, would, he would gain a favor with the Pharaoh, not to worship the Pharaoh because Joseph only worshiped the Lord, but it was to do the Lord's will to take care of Israel, to do the things that God wanted. He wanted Israel to grow and become a nation while in their bondage that they would grow strong. They would become sick of their bondage and seek a better place, which was the promised land, which to many of us is eternal life in seeking Jesus Christ. He says, he that is faithful and that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in your unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So God is saying, if you don't even know what to do with the unrighteous mammon. So in other words, what we make in this world is really not good, guys. It furthers along slavery and does a bunch of things. But if you don't know how to do God's will with the unrighteous mammon, who's gonna trust in you with the true riches which belong to God? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? That's something to think about. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon itself means treasure or riches where it is personified and opposed to God. So you can't serve God and mammon or institutions of money, okay? You've gotta be servant to one and you know maybe use some of the other things to do the will of the Lord. He says, and the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. Why did they deride Jesus? Because they were after money. When Jesus preached the gospel, he was interrupting their money. So that made them want to kill him. Because you see, when you're preaching the true gospel, then Jay-Z doesn't get rich off of, like Pastor Price said years ago, Jay-Z doesn't get rich, okay, off of Christians. Jay-Z gets rich off of sinners. Real Christians don't get involved in fun in this world because we got no appetite for that stuff. So what does the devil have to do? Bring that sin into people's lives that they may want it, buy it, and keep the devil's kingdom going. But anyway, look at verse 15, and he said unto them, ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. 
for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. So we understand. Some people may say, I'm a lawyer, so don't bother me. I live an honest and good life. If you're a lawyer, I doubt you live an honest life. Lawyers are liars. Lawyers are convincers. Lawyers tell stories to even get off criminals from their actions. Lawyers will even pull some of their clients behind the scenes and say, okay, um, so what did you really do? I need to know so I know how to defend you. Don't leave out any lies. Tell me what you did. Did you do it? All right, well, now we got to figure out a way to get you through this. They have no conscience whatsoever. I'm not saying every lawyer, some of them, you know, deal with small claims and try and help people. But when you start getting in this thing with the big boys, you're going to have to join a brotherhood, which is most likely an elite group or some type of um, alumni that you can prosper in your ways. Some people may say, I'm a doctor. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. Have you guys ever heard of the Hippocratic Oath? Have you guys ever heard of the word sorcery, which is pharmacia, which where we get the word pharmaceuticals? Do you know that they experiment on people like lab rats, that some doctors even know that this is true? You guys know what that caduceus symbol is, that serpent around the pole? Has everything to do with, it's, a, it's an old ancient symbol, which means to protect thieves, liars, and gamblers. If you guys don't believe it, look it up yourself. That's why it costs you, you know, $200 to get a splinter out of your finger. This is what it's about. This is all based on money. This is all about wicked practices that go on in every institution, including sports and other things that you can name. This is all about filthy initiations that the devil does to people, including Hollywood, the director's couch, getting sodomized over somebody's desk. You've gotta dress like a woman if you wanna go further with them. You guys think I'm playing? Look up Charles Barkley and, and um, Shaquille O'Neal, two of the toughest guys in the NBA, cross-dressing. Look it up. Look it up. But the whole thing is about the love of money. Why do men allow themselves to be humiliated like that? Why was Larry Johnson pretending to be grandmama running around dribbling the ball with a wig on looking like an old lady? Why is Tyler Perry doing the things he's doing? For money is the root of all evil. So those things which are highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Most people have to sell their souls to the devil just to get a record deal, just to become an actor or actress, and it doesn't stop there. This same John Todd even said, guys, this is so crazy. He said that, you guys remember the show Laverne and Shirley? Well, he says that Cindy Williams herself okay, was a true witch, and he knew her when he was in the occult. When you guys look at, um, what's the other thing I was going to say he mentioned? Oh, man, it kind of skipped my mind. It'll come back to me. But he mentioned so many things concerning this that you guys would be shocked in how money. Oh, I got it, Star Wars. He says that there is no way that anybody can be in a Star Wars movie. Now, check this out. No one can even be in a Star Wars movie unless you have had, um, you are a witch, one, 
and you have been involved in homosexual sex or you know a relationship too. Now look at Harrison Ford, ladies, who you women used to drool over. Mark Hamill, Billy D. Williams, Carrie Fisher, I think her name is. You look at all these people that are in those movies. Samuel Jackson later played in one, and all these guys, every single one of them had to either be a witch or they had to be involved in homosexual sex, okay, in a relationship in order to be in a Star Wars movie. Now, you let your imagination run wild with all of this. Why do they do this? For the love of money. I'm going to get into some other things too, but let me finish this. He says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for, uh, for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the Lord to fail. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Verse 19 says, and there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. So this is a homeless person. This is someone we don't have too much. And the other guy is the rich man, okay? Then he says, look at verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So we understand here that death is the great equalizer. Lazarus was poor, the guy had sores all over him, the dogs would lick his sores, and you had the rich man who fared sumptuously every single day. And all Lazarus desired was to eat the crumbs from the man's table. So the man took care of himself, he lived his lavish life, but now that they're both dead in hell, Lazarus is somewhere in Abraham's bosom being comforted but you've got the rich man in hell looking across the gulf and desiring that Lazarus may dip the finger of his water, I mean, the, uh, the, the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue. So you see, this is the great equalizer, which is eternal life. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from thence or from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he says, I pray thee, therefore father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that uh, he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, 
But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. So as you can see, guys, it's a great equalizer. The riches that you have in this life will only take you but so far. Now I wanna, uh, before we go further into this, because the Lord is gracious enough to give us a little more time tonight, I wanna read to you guys an old classic song that some people when they were in the world were into. And why I'm playing this is because the devil loves to make fun of people, okay, while he entertains them with the music. This is called, guys, an old song by Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, Sympathy for the Devil. So what we understand here is John Todd said that he knew Mick Jagger back in the day who actually got this song while he was tripping on acid. He was high on drugs. At the time, Mick Jagger was in jail, and he said that Mick Jagger had to sell his soul while in prison and actually said it live on the news. John Todd said he doesn't even know where all the young people were when this was going on. But he said he got this song on an acid trip and he was explaining everything that the devil did. Look at the devil's influence in this life. Look at where the words go. He says, please allow me to introduce myself. I am a man of wealth and taste. So one thing we know about the devil, He's a man of wealth and taste. He likes all the finer things in life. He likes to look like this and be like that. He likes to outwardly perform because he'd rather be clean on the outside looking good than on the inside. He says, I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul to waste. So he stole many souls to kill. And I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain made damn sure, he says, that Pilate washed his hands and sealed his faith. He says, pleased to meet you, hope you guess my name. What's puzzling you is the nature of my game. So the devil is playing everybody with the cares and the affairs and the riches of this life because he intends to destroy people. He says, man, it doesn't like confusion with who I am. He's making clear that it's the nature of his game that people don't understand. He says, I stuck around St. Petersburg when I saw it was a time for a change. Killed the czar and his ministers, Anastasia screamed in vain. So what was he going? He was around the time of the czars and the Russian wars, you know, the royal families and all that. He says, I rode a tank, I held the general's rank. When the blitzkrieg raged and the body stank. So he was responsible for World War II and all those attacks that even the Germans committed. He says, pleased to meet you, hope you guessed my name, oh yeah. Uh, what's puzzling you is the nature of my game, oh yeah. He says, I watched with glee while your kings and queens fought for 10 decades for the gods they made. I shouted out who killed the Kennedys when after all, it was you and me. Let me please introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste, and I lay traps for troubadours uh, who get killed before they reach Bombay. 
So if you look at it, man, this guy even controlled and slaughtered and killed all the people that were involved in this stuff, okay? That was involved in music and celebrities and everything. He says, pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name. But what's puzzling you is the nature of my game. He says, pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name. But what's confusing you is just the nature of my game. He says, just as every cop is a criminal and all the sinner saints, as heads is tails, just call me Lucifer because I'm in need of some restraint. So he's sitting there saying that every cop is a criminal and all the sinners are saints. So who do you think is even pushing false gospel for the sake of money? Who do you think is telling people you're one saved, always saved? Who do you think is telling people all these lies? It is Lucifer himself. He says his name here. He says, so if you meet me, have some courtesy, have some sympathy and some taste. Use all your well-learned politeness, he says, or I'll lay your soul to waste. You know, so guys, I know that this song is not Christian, but we must understand what this whole thing is about. The devil is a puppet master playing games with you, trying to introduce you from one idol to the next in hope that you will not be an effective Christian for Christ, nor will obey him and seek him like God wants us to. That's important, man. That is so important that the devil is doing this. He is using what is in this world that you and I find treasures to fall away from Jesus Christ. His mean and his plan is only to destroy you, okay? He even said all this stuff. So I wanna go to another place. Look at, uh, look at Matthew 19 and I'll get back into something else. Look at Matthew 19. Devil singing it to you. And I mean, you know how many Christians would sneak off in the basement and listen to this and enjoy this stuff? It's crazy. They even came out with Jesus rock. Can you believe that? <laughs> So this is uh, Matthew 19, guys, look at verse 16. He says, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, if you want eternal life, he says, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which? Jesus says, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So Jesus told him everything and what to do to actually make eternal life. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty much what all this is. Now the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus saith unto him, uh, if thou will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. 
You see what Jesus's desire was? He says, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So let's look at this. This man said he loved his neighbor. This man said that he had not committed murder. He never committed adultery. He did not steal. He did not bear false witness. But he claimed this, even though he committed every single act that the Lord is telling you. Why? Because he didn't love God. You know, if you can know the truth and not want to preach it to people, you're a murderer because you're watching souls go to hell and you don't want to help out. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. What does James say in, um, in James 4 and 4? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Whosoever shall be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So yes, he was a spiritual adulterer. He says, thou shalt not steal. What do you think he was doing with his great possessions? Not giving to the poor. He was stealing from people what they should have because he was concerned for self and thou shalt not bear false witness. He said that he kept all these things from his youth up. Now you know he's a liar because what greater riches can we give to anybody other than to preach the gospel? His problem is he thought that he loved men, but you can't love men unless you love God. You have to seek a relationship with God. Who he really didn't love was Jesus Christ. He did not love God. Okay, so he thought he was going to inherit eternal life by outwardly looking good, having great possessions, and not sharing and doing the things that the Lord says. Where your treasure is, the Lord says, there will your heart be also. So he walked away because he had great possessions. It says in verse 23, then said Jesus unto his disciples, verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So what was Jesus telling them? Guys, you need to be born again. As long as you are a man, think like a man, live like a man, do all the things of man, you cannot do this. He says, but with God, these things are possible. Look at verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee we have followed thee, what shall we have therefore? So Peter can lay hold to that claim, Lord, I left everything behind in my life to walk with you. So what's gonna be our reward? Look at verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the son of man shall sit in his throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they had a special place with the Lord. You would imagine they would be of the 24 elders, or at least 12 of them. Look at verse 29. 
and everyone that hath forsaken, check this out, guys, houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, but my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. So how many of us really wanna go to heaven? Because the Lord says that none of the things on this list can stop you and I from, from seeking after and following the Lord and doing the things that he says. This is how important it is to make eternal life. I'm not telling anybody to go run off and quit your job or do whatever, okay? All I'm saying is be led by the spirit in maturing in God and let the chips fall where they may. Because I can guarantee you, brothers and sisters, if you and I really act like Christians, if we really get full of the spirit and act like Christians, how long do you think it would be before your job fires you for preaching the gospel, for standing against homosexuality? But why most people won't is because the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the very thing that tries to keep us from following the Lord and doing what the Lord says. Let's look at Luke 12, Luke chapter 12. Thank you, Jesus. Let's look at verse 13. Luke 12 and verse 13. Isn't it that song by Levert? I was going to read their lyrics too. Remember on the old New Jack City soundtrack, don't go look for it if you've never heard it. But it talks about the love of money how people will steal from their brother, rob their own mother, do all these different things, all for the love of money. You know, you guys remember that old song? If you don't, don't even think about it. So this is Luke 12, look at verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So the Lord was making clear, people are sitting here fighting over, you know, the wills of the family, who was left with this, who had that. I've seen families torn and divided over life insurance, when a family member dies. Jesus tells us to take heed and beware of greed, beware of covetousness. He says, for a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Jesus says, what profit have it in a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? If we truly believe what Jesus says, we would take those words to heart but instead we've got this insatiable appetite to go out and buy a bunch of garbage that means nothing, store up our treasures when we should be rich towards God. These type of things are what keep us from doing the things that God wants that he can be fruitful. 
God wants us to be able to be used of him. Look at verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no more room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So this was a man who was only concerned for self, doing what he wanted to do for self. But look at verse 20. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? That man was going to hell and didn't even himself wasn't going to cut it. He says, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. But look at what we put stock in. Look at how we can't even part with the cares and the affairs of this life. All for the love of money. God can't even trust us to go everywhere and preach his gospel because of the love of money. We'll get to work. I don't want to lose my position. I don't want to lose my situation. Meanwhile, souls are going to hell because of the love of money. You ever realize when somebody gets fired from their job, you ever see how people really start to react then? Then it's, oh, well, yeah, bleepity bleep, 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 bleepity bleep. And then they'll say, oh, and another thing, bleep, 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 bleep. I don't want this job anyway. I quit. Why do they do that? Because they've now been released and all of a sudden their mouths can open up again. What keeps them from being that way beforehand? The love of money. Whenever money itself can silence your life or silence your mouth from the gospel, whenever money yourself can cause you not to you know, give to a cause concerning the gospel, whenever money itself won't even allow you to go in places, you know, that would be beneficial to God, but only for self, man, that's how you can understand it's the root of all evil, because we think that we're gaining so much here, but really at the end of this is destruction. I'm not saying be broken, poverty stricken. I'm saying these things cannot be idols unto us because everything that we see before us when we go will belong to someone else. We've got to keep in mind with that, that this thing is truly focused on eternal life. He tells the man of God to flee running and fighting and going after these things because they're not of God. You know, not that money is not of God, but you see all these things happening. Look at Jeremiah chapter five. Jeremiah 5, and let's look at verse 22. I'm telling you, man, when Sister Sarah and I, hey, Brother Timothy, when Sister Sarah and I go out there to feed the homeless and we do things like this, preach the gospel to them, and let's just say we haven't been out there in a few weeks, you can almost feel like something over your heart that truly doesn't want to give. But after we go out there and we pray for these people, talk to them about the Lord and, you know, make sure everybody's good and do all that. 
and then we come back, I can feel like a release come off of my heart. I feel like a spirit of thanksgiving. I feel like giving more. The devil can try and keep you believing, well, no, you need to save your money for this and do that. But you know what? Chances are, if we're not doing things for the Lord, then we're using it for things that don't even make any sense. You may as well give someone something to eat, bless them, and the Lord will bless you. That's not the purpose of you doing it, but it's important that we understand that it is better to give than to receive. That is so absent from the church today. That is so absent from a lot of Christians today. A lot of people will think about what they can gain, but Jesus never kept a thing for himself. We got to think about that. Look at Jeremiah 5 and verse 22. He says, fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass, that it cannot pass it. And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. He says, but this people have a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain both the former and the latter. In his season, he serveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. He says, your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have, we, have withholding good things from you from among my people are found. Look at how this, this whole prosperity thing, guys, is growing. How these guys can rob people week after week and feel absolutely nothing for the soul. He says in verse 26, from among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait and they set it snares. They set a trap and they catch men. As a cage full of birds, so are their houses or their churches full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and waxing rich. This is what you find with Creflo Dollar, T.D. Jakes. What's that other guy running over the money? Leroy Thompson, you know, Joseph Prince. They all as godliness. But he says these people set snares. They set traps. These are wicked men. He says, as a cage full of birds, these men's houses are full of deceit, full of lies. They are become great and they are waxing rich. Why? All for the love of money. They are waxing fat. They shine, yea. They overpass the deeds of the wicked. You see that? These pastors do not speak about sin, and they're not even the most dangerous people out there. You have other preachers on every corner that go in and all they can tell you about is the love of Jesus. They'll never mention your sin. They'll never speak about it at all. They won't speak against homosexuality or abortion because that's bad for the pocket. This is why it's evil. They'll watch people go to hell for their own well-being, all because of the love of money. Look at this. So he says they wax fat, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. No talk of sin. 
They judge not the cause of the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper, and the right of the needy do they not judge. So matters that they should be addressing, they don't. They care nothing about the fatherless. They fleece the flock. They use and abuse. They don't even care if that's that woman's last check and she's got six kids. Man, bring the money on in and God will give you a thousandfold if you contribute to this ministry. All for the love of money. This is why the love of money is the root of all evil because if you love money, it can block the gospel and bring souls to hell. Look at verse 29. The Lord says, Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? So people like being pimped out. They like to be whored out. People like, as long as I can belong to a big church and my pastor is a celebrity, then I'm really doing something. All because of the love of money. They buy the same lie week after week, see no production in their life, no growth, no money coming back to them, but they stay there because they think one day they're gonna put in their coins and hit the jackpot and they themselves will be able to have abundance believing this lie. You see, the gospel doesn't work. I mean, prosperity gospel don't work on real saints because real saints don't desire to be rich like that. It only works on those who are chasing the elusive carrot and have a love for money. This is what it's about. People will gladly go to hell if they can become rich. Look at Jeremiah 6, right next door. Check this passage out. He says, O ye children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem and blow the trumpet in Tekoa. He says, and set up a sign of fire in Beth Hasarim, uh, for evil appeareth out of the north and great destruction. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. The shepherds with their flock shall come unto her. They shall pitch their tents against her round about. They shall feed everyone in his place. Prepare ye war against her. Arise and let us go up at noon. Woe unto us, for the day goeth away, for the shadows of the evening are stretched out. He says, arise and let us go by night and let us destroy her palaces. For thus hath the Lord of hosts said, hew ye down trees and cast a mount against Jerusalem. This is the city to be visited. She is holy oppression in the midst of her. As the fountain casteth out her waters, so she casteth out her wickedness. Violence and spoil is heard in her. Before me continually is grief and wounds. Who are we speaking about, guys? This is the whore of Babylon in Revelation 17 that Israel has been whoring with and many of us are whoring with today. Look at verse seven or verse eight. Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, 
lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly, they shall thoroughly glean uh, the remnant of Israel as a vine. Turn back thy hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear, behold, their ears, are, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Why? Because of the idols that are going on in these people's lives. He says, therefore, am I full of the fury of the Lord? I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the aged with him that is full of days. This is how God feels about idolatry. Look at this, guys, in verse 12. And their houses shall be turned unto others with their fields uh, and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. They're all seeking greed. They're all after the whore of Babylon. They're all looking after their own way. So they are given unto covetousness, guys. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. This is why you don't have a lot of real ministers today. And that's why I value pastors like Pastor Price, who is still alive, still preaching the gospel, still telling people the truth. Because you see, to seek after money can eventually cause you to be a false prophet. It can cause you in this garbage. The Catholic church has all these riches, all these things all around it, but they do not take care of the people. They look at the people as the laity while they themselves appear to be the clergy, which is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Look at verse 14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people. How did they heal Israel slightly? Check this out, guys, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. So you see, this is how, when you and I preach messages about what's happening in the world, what's really going down, how important it is to save souls, and that God's wrath is gonna fall on the children of disobedience, these people will come along and talk about peace, peace, when the fact of the matter is, there truly is no peace. They know how to appease the masses. They know how to get their way with people. All these things are because of the love of money, which is what? The root of all evil. He says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them, that they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. He says, thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein? And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. He says also, 
I set watchmen over you, saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. This is what we're dealing with, guys, because these people are greedy and idolatrous and covetous. God is telling them to seek the old way, go back to the old past, the old gospel, the old things that God wants. You know, having contentment with godliness being great gain, seeking the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. If we don't choose to go the old way and the old paths, look at how the disciples and apostles live and those who are serious in the faith, they're gonna give themselves over to lies and deception. He says in verse 17, I set watchmen over you and you would not hearken to the sound of the trumpet. They were warning, but you would not hear, why? Because of the root of all evil, which is the money, which is the greed, which is self-preservation, self-worth. Perilous times would come because men would become lovers of their own selves. Verse 18, I mean, verse, um, yeah, he said they would not hearken. And um, yeah, so all right, I read that part. But the point is, is guys, wherever our treasure is, that's where our hearts will be. That's why Jesus tells us, lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not on the earth, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be. It's time for us to get heavenly minded. It's time for us to put away foolishness. It's time for us to go back to the old paths and seek God, because the love of all, the love of money is truly the root of all evil. This thing is wicked from the inside out. Look at Isaiah 56 and verse nine. Thank you, Lord. Isaiah 56 verse nine, it says, all ye beasts of the field come to devour, yea, all ye beasts in the forest. He says his watchmen are blind. Whose watchmen are we talking about here? We're talking about the watchmen of the devil. He says they are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. A watchman is a type of pastor. So he's making clear here that these people are ignorant, they don't know, and they are dumb dogs. Why are they dumb dogs? They cannot bark. They're sleeping. They're not alert, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. So we know that they're talking about ministers. They're talking about pastors, watchmen, those who watch over the flock. He calls them greedy. He says they can't bark. They can't warn. He says they're sleeping not even aware, and they're lying down, not even up to the task, they're lazy, and they love to slumber. He says they're greedy dogs that can never have enough, always looking out for self, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain and from his quarter. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, 
and much more abundant. So these people can never get to the end of themselves. They can never finally see the things that God wants because what's in their hearts is all about their own gain. I mean, you know, prosperity gospel, people look at Joe Olstein like he's some kind of nice man, like he means well, and he teaches another form of gospel. No, what he teaches is evil, it's filthy. He's the description of what you would say when it says the false prophet has two horns like a lamb, but speaks as a dragon. He's gonna look comely and friendly, but when he speaks, it's gonna be a doctrine to damnation. It's not gonna be one to save souls. And these people can do this week after week. These people are so evil, guys. Read Micah 3 in your spare time when it talks about the priest, they instruct for a price. And look at Jeremiah 23 when it talks about woe to the pastors, how they fleece the flock, how they prophesy by Baal, and they do all these wicked things, all because they were bought and for the love of money. Man, this is a dirty, filthy, nasty game that we've got to be aware of so we don't get ensnared with the things that the devil will do, okay? So let me move on. I wanna read um, one other thing to you guys. This wasn't a poem um, I, I've um, played before, but you know, I like it because it makes so much sense, guys. If we could ever take this poem to heart, it would really get us to the place of understanding that this is so true. We must get out of ourselves. This is called A Hundred Years From Now, a poem by Walden Parker. He says, good morning, all. This is the guy who's um, actually telling us about this. He says, uh, I hope everyone is doing well this morning. I came across this poem a while back while listening to Leonard Ravenhill. He says, honestly, I am not big on poetry, but I thought this worth sharing, hope it blesses you. This is where I actually heard it with Leonard Ravenhill, but it says, it will not make much difference, friend, a hundred years from now if you live in a stately mansion or on a river sky, if the clothes you wear are tailor-made or pieced together somehow, if you eat big steaks or beans and cake a hundred years from now, it won't matter your bank account or the make of car you drive, for the grave will claim all your riches and fame and the things for which you strive. There's a deadline that we all must meet and no one will be late. It won't matter then all the places you've been, each one will keep that date. And that's true, when you and I die, man, we're gonna die. We, we all have an appointed time to leave here and we better take these words to heart. Look at verse, I mean, look at the next line. It says, we will not only have, but we will only have in eternity what we gave away on earth. When we go to the grave, we can only save the things of eternal worth. What matters, friend, the earthly gain for which some men always bow? For your destiny will be sealed, you see, a hundred years from now. And some of us are gonna live less than that. So we better think about what's most important in this life. We better think about the will of God. We better think about what he's calling you and I to. 
We better learn to be rich towards God because he is the only one that will endure through time. Don't allow yourself to be snared, to be caught up for the cares and the affairs of this life. God will anchor your life and give you the things that you need if you stay in line with him. Now they're trying to mess with my connection now. I guess they didn't like what I put. That's good. That means that the devil himself is paying attention. Look at Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11, you know, Jesus had an attitude about this sort of stuff too. Look at Matthew 11, look at verse one. It says here, and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed then to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, go and shew John again, those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whomsoever shall not be offended in me. He says, and as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude into the wilderness to see a reed shaken in the wind. What went ye out to see or out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? He says, behold, they that wear soft raiment or soft clothing, they are in king's houses. So what does this tell you about Jesus? Jesus was a rugged individual in doing the father's will. Look at how he was a fisherman. Look at how he speaks of being a gardener. Look at how he calls himself all these gritty things that it takes hard work to do. Being a shepherd is hard work, but look at the things that he decided to do and label himself as that his father's will could be done. Jesus is asking concerning John the Baptist, what did you think you were gonna see guys? Who did you think was gonna represent me? Did you think a man who would represent me was gonna be a man clothed in soft raiment? You know, a little reed shaking in the wind? You guys ever ask yourself why God, after 400 years of silence between the Testaments, never made a full move, and then on the scene comes John the Baptist. Why did John the Baptist look like he looked? Why did he stay in the wilderness some 20 something years? Why was he born with the Holy Ghost in him from his birth? Why was this man chosen to represent God? God wanted someone that would be used that would not be infected with the world. He had to keep John away, locked away from all the deceitfulness of riches, all the sin, all the you know, temptations and all the things that destroy men in this life. God had to keep him away and preserve him. So when the day approached, he came out eating locusts and wild honey with a leather about his loins and camel's hair on his body. 
This man was who was chosen to represent God. Why? Because there was nothing that John wanted in this life. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with looking nice. I'm just making the point. We better start changing our perspective and getting an understanding for the things that Jesus Christ is most concerned with. Hey, um, Sister Heather and Brother Gary, hope all is well with you guys. He says, but what, what, uh, what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, and I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there have not risen a greater than John the Baptist. So who did Jesus Christ think was greater than John? Nobody, okay? He says, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That puts new emphasis on the word least. Who is least in John the Baptist is greater than him? Look at the word, he that is least. This is G3398, and it says small, little, of size, hence of stature or length. We know we're not talking about that. God doesn't care about your height. It says of space or of age, less by of birth or younger, of time, short, brief, a little while, how little, of quantity, number, amount, or of rank or influence. So you see, when you humble yourself before the Lord, the Lord will lift you up. If you raise yourself up, you are going to be abased. So God had chosen John the Baptist to represent Jesus Christ because of the fact that he was least. He cared the less about himself, the least about what he could have. His whole focus, okay, was on the kingdom of heaven. What was his job to go out and preach? That the kingdom of heaven is at hand, okay? Not with the preterist worldview, okay? But of the one that God speaks of, that he comes quickly. Look at verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. So if you guys think that the devil is just gonna let you and I just walk into the kingdom of heaven, do whatever we want, and he's not gonna try and tempt you and I, keep us in the flesh, keep us following him, you better think again. When he talks about suffering violence and you taking it by force, you're gonna have to fight your way through the world, through the flesh, and through the devil, through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those things have to be subdued and laid aside for you and I to finish our race. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is flesh, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So if you love the world, you don't have a heart for God. If you love the world, you're going to accept the Antichrist. As we read in the lyrics of Sympathy for the Devil, you see he's a man of wealth and taste. And I'm here to tell many of us Christians 
that want a war with him, we better get full of Christ and really get consecrated because you know what we're finding out? That we love the devil's style. We love the way he lives. We love what he does. We love what he does. We love to have the opportunity to be a CEO and do all these magnificent things, walk around with your briefcase and do all this. Now, some people may say, I'm speaking from a standpoint of being a failure. Yeah, he never really did some of these things. So that's why he's talking. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. I had my stint on Wall Street. I've made six figures. I've made good money. I know what it is to have bonuses. I was there seven and a half years doing what I was doing, living with the Joneses, doing everything that they wanted. I mean, you want to talk about an immaculate wardrobe. I had all that stuff. I'm here to tell you guys, it won't fulfill who you are to be in Christ. These things mean absolutely nothing. There were more criminals on that trading floor than there are people in prison. I'm trying to tell you, that stuff doesn't make you. Once you get about 40 years old or you know, late 30s, you start to see some things. Man, what am I running after? What is it that I really want? You should see some of those guys, man, on that floor would have to have a $100 a day Coke habit, $100 a day on their fifth mortgage sleeping around with women, taking in the hotels, married men doing all this. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all evil. Some of them been there 40 something, 50 years, broke down, can't even walk, can't even move, but they go at least 12 miles a day on that trading floor for the love of money. Some of them have committed insider trading, cheating the market, you know, looking at the looking at the uh, ticker and and um, what do you call it? Bidding themselves on what they see, which is illegal, all for the love of money. People go to jail for forty years over this because they couldn't stop chasing the money. So you know, I'm not somebody talking like I never had anything. No, I've had plenty of things, and I'm here to tell you, it doesn't fulfill what God intends to do for you. It doesn't even compare to me here preaching the gospel, wanting souls saved, letting the spirit of the Lord use me. That's my primary concern. That's what I love to do. That's what brings me joy. So one day I pray that there will be a crown of righteousness laid up for me in the kingdom of heaven, doing the Lord's will. Yeah, you ain't you ain't happy until you find out what God wants for you in your life. Look at uh, Luke 21 and look at verse 33. Man, I was the worst person on earth when I was working there. I remember telling Pastor Price about it. He said, what made you get out of it? I said, man, you know, at the time I moved out here and things were going on, and I was saying that, you know, it really didn't make me happy. And I said, man, I probably would have been, you know, in jail or or even a greater sinner than I was at the time. Pastor Price said, yeah, you probably would have been dead. And that's true. Man, 
The devil's his dream is not all it's cracked up to be, guys. It is wickedness. Luke 21, look at verse 23. I mean 33, sorry. He says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. That's overeating or overindulging and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. The Lord is warning us, get right with him. Stop looking at our lives only and let's get into what the Lord wants. He says, because the cares of this life can cause that day to come upon you unawares. He says, for as a snare shall it come, on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. He says, watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the son of man. So we don't wanna be caught fooling around before we die. We've gotta get to the place of getting it right with the Lord. As Paul says in Hebrews 12, laying aside every weight and the sin thereof, that we may run our race with patience, the race that is set before us. Verse 37 says, and in the day that he was teaching in the temple and at night, he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. It's gonna be a rude awakening in the end, guys, when you find out who was playing and hypocrite the whole time and who actually got saved. I think the pimp and the prostitute or the harlots and the sinners, the drug addict, the fornicator, the thief, all these individuals, you watch how God uses these people in the last days. Because that woman with the alabaster box of ointment, a very expensive ointment, took it and poured it out upon Jesus, crying and washing his feet with her tears and used the hairs of her head to wipe him. She came for only one purpose, which was Jesus Christ. That's what she wanted. That was her treasure. That's what she sought after to be clean and be made right. Because after all, it was the love of money. It was the devil's world that made that woman a sinner. It was what the world contained that caused that woman to do what she did. So when she heard that Jesus was coming into town, man, he was at another man's house, a Pharisee. She invited herself to come in and poured that precious ointment upon Jesus because he was the true treasure in her heart. Also, when you look at... um. You know, uh, it was another point I was gonna make about the Lord. Oh, remember Judas Iscariot. What made Judas Iscariot betray Jesus? 30 pieces of silver. He said we could take that oil or that ointment and it could have been sold to the poor. He was acting like he cared for the poor, but all he was concerned about was money and self-preservation. Money itself, guys, betrayed Jesus Christ. Money itself is what killed Jesus Christ. It's all because of those who wanted to have what they could have when he threw out those money changes. 
and overturned their tables and threw out their money and said that my father's house shall be called a house of prayer, but you guys have made it a den of thieves. They sought to kill him and destroy him because he went against the matrix. He did not sell his soul, he kept it, and he preached other people out of the matrix. And because of that, these people sought to kill Jesus. I'm gonna prove that money itself is what killed Jesus. Let's go to uh, Revelation 18, guys, and I'm gonna close from there. Revelation 18, and I am done. Like I said, why do people still follow Christmas and do all that? Man, it's the love of money. It is the love of money. How did Jesus' birthday, and I know it's not his birthday, but just speaking, how did the birthday of Jesus have anything to do with you and I ripping open packages and, and to ourselves? And look at the very fact that when the, the Christmas spirit, when you know someone gives you a gift that you didn't really want, look at how your son or daughter will turn up their eyes and look at you. Look at how they feel they're not even content in their hearts. Look at how they wish that you had got them something else. Man, that holiday ain't got nothing to do with the Lord, man. That is evil. That is all about gain, all that you can have. Look at how disappointed we become, all for the love of money. Revelation 18, and let's look at verse one. He says, and after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So what is Babylon the great? The great whore that sat on many waters, which was the world system, the religious system, and it was the world system that was, you know, in Revelation 17. Why do I say it's the world system too? Because you understand that it's the whore that rides the beast. It is the, the religion that rides the government. Now, we know that this system belongs to the devil, but Babylon the Great here, it says, is fallen, and it's every hateful and unclean bird is dwelling in this atmosphere. That is all that the matrix can produce. This is all the world that belongs to the devil can make you an unclean and foul and hateful bird. Look at verse three. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So a lot of people live lavish on the beast. A lot of people are proud of what they do, proud of what they make, proud of what they have, even though many of these people don't, don't worship the Lord. People have become great. Every king or ruler or government has fornicated with this harlot. And these guys are living, you know, these are delicacies. They're living off of the abundance of this whore. Now you remember in Revelation 17, it says that this whore was decked with gold and precious stones. It is these things that allure people to the whore. Why is it called a harlot? 
it's a harlot because a harlot wouldn't be very good at what she did unless she enticed you to come. What does this world system do? It entices you to disobey God. It entices you to desire more of it. It entices you to desire to have eternal life, I mean, or to have a life here, which is unsustainable, and to forget about eternal life, which is all that matters in Christ. Look at verse four. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. What is God doing? Speaking to his people. What did Paul say in uh, 1 Timothy chapter six? He says, thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, faith, you know, peace, and, and other things he was mentioning. But he's telling his people here, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not her plagues. So if we stay glued in with this system, okay, doing the things that the world wants, okay, when we decide to sell ourselves over to the world and not unto Christ, he said that we can be a partaker of the sins and the plagues of this harlot. He says, for her sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. So this thing is responsible for every sin. That stench of this world has reached the throne of God. Whenever sin reaches the throne of God, God's got to judge what is going on. Look at verse five or, or verse uh, six, reward her even as she rewarded you and double unto her, double according to her works in the cup which she have filled, I mean, which she have had her fill, fill her, or fill to her double. So one thing we know about this harlot, the Bible says in Revelation 17, that she was drunk with the saints and with the martyrs of Jesus, okay? So you know that the Catholic Church killed a lot of Christians, but the Catholic Church is not the whore. The Catholic Church is one of the pearls on the whore, but this whore has been killing people from the beginning. I love what Pastor Price said, about the woman riding the beast, the two pillars, because this here is Adam and Eve. If Eve would have been a type of harlot to entice Adam to eat of the fruit, then Eve herself wasn't just the mother of all living, she was also the mother of all death because she got Adam to obey her. When Adam obeyed, man became subject to sin. If Satan can use government, which is Adam, Eve, which is religion, then, then the devil used them to kill mankind. Look at this. This thing goes back to Eve and forward unto what we're going to see in the future. Okay? So it says, how much she have glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am, in, and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. That's the world system. This is what we're dealing with with Babylon the Great. Okay, Babylon the Great believes I'm going to stand, I'm going to remain, nothing is going to take me down, but the bottom line is God is going to destroy it. Look at verse 8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day 
death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, those who were involved in the world system that enjoyed it, that wouldn't even come to God, those that she ruled over and got her will done through, it says, uh, they shall, that live with her, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Stand afar off, uh, stand afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, at last, at last, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, from in one hour, or for in one hour is thy judgment come. Why is she called Babylon the Great? Because Babylon was known for witchcraft. Babylon is like the first prestigious, what you would call um, hateful, you know, enemy of God. Now we know that Cain had his lineage and the days of Noah were one thing, but when you go beyond the flood, then there's the character that is mentioned, who is Nimrod. That's whose birthday you're celebrating on December 25th. But the bottom line here is, is that it's called Babylon because Nimrod always had a war with God. He always wanted to build a tower whose top would reach into heaven. He wanted to build a city or an empire that would fight against God. I've shown you guys that 10 region world map. Well, this is Babylon the Great that we're talking about here. This is what it's all about. The whole world will belong to Satan and there are gonna be a lot of wicked people that will hate to see this thing go. Verse 11 says, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and of fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of the most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. So this harlot was responsible for slavery of all nations and the souls of men, going right back to how the devil enticed Adam and Eve to sin to bring death unto men. Verse 14, and the fruits that thine soul lusted after. You see that? The fruits that our souls that are in this world lust after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. If you look at this thing, guys, Satan runs the whole world. The love of money, you hear about these merchants? The love of money is the root of all evil. Because without this whore, the devil couldn't entice man. He uses this whore to draw people in, he paints the American dream and all these things that we may be as sheep being led to the slaughter. Look at verse 15. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off 
for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying at last, at last, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with golden precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, so great riches has come to Noah and every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors and as many trade by sea stood afar off. So as you can see, guys, the Illuminati owns it all. They have it all. The devil has it all. This is his world. It is the grace of God that is giving you and I time that we may have the things that we have, that we may do the Lord's will before the devil goes cashless, taking everything away, and you won't be able to buy or sell except you receive a mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. We're looking at all that right now. Do you love this stuff? Or are you just using these things to fulfill the will of the Lord and to do what God says? That's a question for us all. So look at verse 19 or verse 18. And cried when they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what city is like unto this great city? And they, were, and they cast dust on their heads and cried weeping and wailing saying, at last, at last, that great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Verse 20 is big, guys, because you see this whore goes all the way back to the apostles and prophets, this whore was killing all the saints, all those who ever represented God. This thing killed Jesus Christ, but God raised him from the dead for you and I. This thing is a monster. This thing truly is a dragon. This thing has only one purpose in mind, and that is to destroy you, that it may drink of your blood. I'm not trying to be funny. But you see, this whore has claimed the lives of so many. This whore is what's coming up against you and I. This whore is pushing the homosexual gender. This whore is aborting 3,000 babies a day in this country. This whore is deceiving the minds of those, telling them that they evolved from a monkey six million years ago. This whore is indoctrinating kids to come out and be unbelievers when God wants us all to come after him and serve him. This whore is responsible for every single death in this world. I remember back in the day when Sister Sarah and I used to do security, always around Christmas time, we had the biggest death. And I remember, man, we used to love catching those guys, slamming them on their backs, waiting for the police and doing whatever. But you know what I began to think about? Me catching that man and him having to go home and tell the woman or his son that he stole for or daughter that he didn't have the money, man, that must have been a crushing situation for him. This is what the whore pushes. The whore encourages you to steal. If you don't have it, then steal it. If you don't have it, go to school for four to 12 years and then be $250,000 in debt. 
This whore is all about taking from you the things that God wants you to have and giving you things that you cannot obtain. Man, that's what this is about. This thing has killed everything. It's responsible for all death. I mean, there are God that there was God that killed some people too because of the things that they were doing, you know, their wickedness or whatever. But this whore, I mean, no, but then again, this whore is responsible for that. Who actually told Ananias and Sapphira to go and cheat God out of his money? Who told them to go and hide money away and lie? It was this whore. This whore entices you to sin against God. We are born of this whore. This whore goes back to Eve. It goes back to Adam, where our sin nature began. So we became rebels by God. A lot of us love this atmosphere. We live for it. We strive for it. But this thing is the enemy of God. That's important that we see this. This is God's enemy. When he calls us adulterers and adulteresses, this thing that I'm reading in Revelation 18 is what it's talking about. This thing don't love you. And for those people that get mad that I'm preaching this, don't even realize that they're being used by the whore. <laughs> so anyway, he says in verse 21, and a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea saying, thus with violence shall, great, shall this great city or shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of the harpers and musicians and the pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. Hollywood's gonna go away. You know, all that other stuff that people found for entertainment, those things will be no more. It says, and, and no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found no more at all. I mean, any more in thee. And the sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle uh, shall shine no more at all in thee and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. How could this have already happened when you've got the bridegroom who is Christ and the bride, which is his church, will be heard no more in this system if I'm here on YouTube preaching the gospel? How could it be done already? I believe this is the time when the Lord calls up his saints because if you go to Revelation 19, it makes very clear that the Lord is gonna come back to destroy everything. So as you can see, I believe this is when you and I are getting resurrected. This is the coming of Christ. And then he says, uh, shall be heard no more in thee, for thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. You guys look at the word sorceries, it says great men. This is your Illuminati right here. These are those kings that were with the whore, those merchants of the earth. They own the whole earth. Look at the word sorceries. That word is pharmakia, and it says the use of or administering of drugs, poisoning, sorcery, magical arts, 
often found in connection with idolatry and fostered by it. Metaphorically, the deceptions and seductions of idolatry. What is an idolater? An idolater? Anybody that puts anything before God. Anything that we love more than God. It could be your children, your husband, your wife, your money, your car, your education, your job, even your own life, okay? If those are the deceptions and seductions of idolatry that the devil will use to ensnare people. We gotta look at this, man. We've got to look at this. That's what they're using, pharmacia. Not just drugs, they're using dark arch, heavy witchcraft, indoctrination through their TV, through their radio, through all the things that they're a part of. You know, they are luring people in like the Pied Piper to destroy souls. Look at verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Now, I'm not preaching a hopeless message, guys, but I want people to understand one thing. Outside of Jesus Christ, this is a hopeless situation. Jesus Christ is our only hope. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No man comes unto the Father but through Jesus Christ. Jesus says that we ought to be rich towards him and not towards, I mean, rich towards God and not towards the things of this life. Jesus also says that stop seeking after the bread that leads unto perishing, but seek after the bread of life. Seek after eternal life. This thing will only ring loud and clear to us when we have an understanding that the devil runs the whole world. And the only one that's going to set us free from this is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You've bought houses. They've been sold, okay? You bought cars, they've been repossessed, okay? You've, you've done all these different things. You got married and ended up divorced. The only thing that's going to endure through time is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he turned away from, you know, feeding himself at a time when the spirit was calling him to fasting. That's why he looked at all the things, all the kingdoms of the world and said, I will worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. That's why he was brought to the pinnacle of the temple, you know, and told if you jump down Jesus and perform for me, I'll believe you're the son of God. But Jesus says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. If Jesus had obeyed any command of Satan, you and I would have no redeemer. Guys, we are the only hope that the world has. I'm in favor of Dunamis Tabernacle and what Pastor Price is doing with Omega Ministries. We need a base camp. We need saints to be able to get built up to do battle with this harlot. Because if you don't come after her, she is coming after you. She's already done it. Who's got your son on drugs? Who's got your husband not being a man of God, but acting like some woman around the place. Who's doing all this stuff to you? It is the whore of Babylon, the love of money, which is the root of all evil that has bound these people. It's gonna take power from on high. It's gonna take divine revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's going to take people who love Jesus and who are sold out for him, that are so in love with him that they will do anything that he's called them to do, and they will go forward and do it. God's looking for a few good men and women to get a job done. Those who believe what he says, those who are seeking after eternal life, those who love him more than anything and love their neighbor as themselves. Those are the only people that are gonna make it into the kingdom of heaven are those who have forsaken a life for a life to walk with Christ. So, you know, I just wanna say to people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is time. Repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways. The things that offend the Holy Ghost, if he shows them to you, then depart from them because he's trying to lighten your load so that you can become a better saint for the Lord. And that's why the Bible tells us, you know, um, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be to you a father, and you will be unto me sons and daughters. It says in 2 Timothy chapter two, that if we put aside all these things and free ourselves of all these idols, then we will be vessels fit unto the master's use and unto every good work. Don't you want the Lord to use you? Repent, believe Jesus Christ is the only way. Seek after him with a fervent desire. The Lord says you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. It's time to stop giving the whore what she wants from you and give all over to Jesus Christ so that we can get an end time job done. So guys, repent, believe in Jesus Christ, get baptized, get serious about him and what he's calling us to do so that the Lord may do a mighty work in your life. And I just wanna tell people to get the organic gospel book, by Pastor Price and Sister Maisha Hunter. This book is $13.95, and I know after a message like this, some people are gonna think we're selling books. We're not selling books. This is an evangelistic tool to help you grow, to get you to think and see things the way that God has already put in his word. All Pastor Price is doing is simplifying it. That's all he's doing. You know, the sower sows the seed. God plants, he waters. We're supposed to have the fruit of the spirit. He plucks up the wheat from the tares. You know, we have to be good and righteous trees. Jesus Christ is the true vine. That's all this is about. Don't try to be a Christian. Be born into the kingdom of God so that the righteous fruit may mature in us and grow us to the fullness of what the Lord calls us to do. This book is $13.95. You can get it at www theorganicgospel.net. Anybody think that we're doing a sales pitch here and that we're trying to find ways to rob people? Man, we're not even talking to you. We're talking to the saints, you know, who are looking at the end time push because those same people that will tell you, yeah, look at what you're using money for, they'll go and spend all their money on porno. They'll go and buy up a bunch of video games like a big kid. They'll go and pay for a Blazers game or whatever other things are out there. They'll pay $1,500 on a Super Bowl front row seat ticket, but they won't buy a book for $1,395 that may help you grow. Man, this is all about, you know, and some people would say, well, if you're a man of God, why don't you give your books away? 
Who do you think is funding the publishers? How do you think we're able to get the book out to you? It does take money, but this is not for our own personal gain. This is about teaching people the ways of Christ that they may give their lives to him. So you can stop being robbed by the pimps and the prostitutes in the churches. That's what this is about, guys. www.theorganicgospel.net. So I just want to say to people out there, I love you. Let's pray. If anybody has any questions about tonight's teaching, I will leave a two-minute window open in the description box so that you can ask. I don't mind questions. If I don't have an answer, I don't have it. But if I don't know, I shouldn't be teaching it. So ask away. So let's pray. And we're going to go out from there. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your understanding in these dark times, Lord, that we may seek you, who is the light of the world. And I just thank you for the brothers and sisters out there, Lord, that may be going through what they're going through. We thank you, Lord, for the faithful brothers and sisters that understand what this is about, that aside from their help and the things that they do, Lord, there's not a whole lot that we can do. So I ask that you bless them, Lord. I ask that you bless Sister Tara. Bless Sister Naima, Lord. I ask that you bless Sister Sarah. Bless Sister Latoya, Sister Tanisha. Bless all the sisters, Lord, that understand what this thing is about. Sister Tatiana, Sister Teresa in Texas, Lord. I pray, Sister uh, Teresa Granados, Lord, that you watch over her and her health. Lord, we know that there are so many things that you have for your people. And we know that along with mighty men that you are here to raise up mighty women as well. And I just pray, Lord, that your spirit pours upon them, that you give them the heart of men, that they may be patriarchal, Lord, to follow you, that they may be warriors in their own right that will stand with the men to get a job done. And I just pray for the men, Pastor Price, Lord, thank you for Pastor Price. Thank you for the revelation and understanding you've given him. Thank you for Brother Sal, Brother Rashid, Brother Jeremiah, Brother Timotheus, Brother Rock T in Australia, Brother Greg in Italy. Thank you for Brother Omar. Thank you for all the brothers and sisters, Lord, that are out there. Brother West, Brother Derek, Brother Cord, Lord, Brother Charles. We just ask, Lord, that you raise up these mighty men in the last time, that we may do all that you call us to, that we may represent you and stand in the face of evil, an exceeding great army, one that is willing to go no matter what you call us to. So, Lord, I just pray and I ask that you watch over. And if there's anybody I miss tonight, Lord, Sister Melissa, Lord, bless her, Brother Mark, my sister Dawn and her husband Randy, I pray for Sister Tara's husband, Randy, as well. For all the spouses of the ones, Lord, who are on tonight, I pray, Lord, that you give them a life of abundance. I pray that you strengthen them, Lord, in a mighty way. Let all these things be done, Lord, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So guys, I guess that's gonna wrap it up for tonight. If there are any questions, uh, he says the uh, workman is worthy of his wages. Uh, Sister Teresa says, I, th I thank the Lord for you, Brother Derek, and all uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, I feel the same way, guys, because this is what it's about. We've got to be there for one another.
I enjoy just my time with you guys, you know, doing all that we can. Brother Gary and Sister Heather also, I pray that you watch over them, Lord. Give them a life of abundance. Bless us, Lord, that we may bless others. So, and Brother Seth was on tonight too. So thank you for being on Brother Seth. Coach P, who I did mention. Uh, let's see, Sister Camya too, guys. Keep Sister Camya in prayer. You know, she's having battles with her son. He's getting bullied at school because he's autistic. So we just pray for peace over that young man that the Lord will raise him up, strengthen him that he won't be discouraged and that he may follow after you. So I just wanna say with that guys, um, you know, subscribe to the channel if it's been a blessing. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And um, to tomorrow's teaching will be at 7.30 uh, p.m. Pacific time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. And that's going to be called Truth is the New Hate Speech. Truth is the new hate speech. So hopefully you guys will be there, won't miss it. I love you all, brothers and sisters. Don't forsake your prayer closets. Spend time with the Lord and get built up. Have a good night, guys. See you tomorrow. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.